Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pardon My Pancreas. My name is Matt Vandevecht, and I'm a certified trainer and nutritionist, one of your hosts today, and the other host is Ali Abdul Karim. He is a social media influencer, an incredible guy, and we are both type 1 diabetics here to share our knowledge and experiences with you. We occasionally interview people that are very knowledgeable in the diabetic world, sometimes doctors, sometimes influencers, people living with it. And this episode is brought to you by FTF Warrior, an online health coaching company for diabetics. And we will go further by saying this is not medical advice in any manner. We are not doctors. We will never be doctors. And nothing said on this podcast is meant to replace your doctor's order. So consult your doctors before you make changes. Without any further ado, let's get into... What's up, everybody? Welcome to Part of My Pancreas Podcast. Today, we've got some really exciting stuff to talk about and an even more exciting person to talk to. Today, we have Sharice on the line, and she's going to give us a lot of her knowledge and stories on the, the beginnings of the diabetic community. So welcome, Sharice. Hi, thank you so much for having me. By the way, you have a very good voice for this. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm still figuring it all out. So thank you so much. You're welcome. So if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I know that you had a, a rough start with diabetes with your husband being out of the country. So I'd love to hear more about that. Okay, so I was diagnosed with latent autoimmune diabetes in adults uh, back in 2004. So prior to my diagnosis, um, I was uh, in the Army Reserve. Um, I was a supply specialist, and that's how I met my husband. So we got married. Crazy story, by the way. We met each other. We knew that, you know, it was it. He called me, told me he couldn't live without me. A week later, I moved in. A year later, got married. About two, actually about a month after that, he went to Iraq. Um, and wow. then four, six months later, I was diagnosed with uh, LADA. And then funny story, when he returned a month later on April Fool's Day, we found out we were having a baby. Oh, wow. Was there that moment of, is this an April Fool's joke? Are you, are you serious? Is this, are, is this true? <laughs> so it's, I had to have, so I tried to call my mom and tell her that I was having a baby and she didn't believe me. So everyone knows that my husband is probably one of the most honest people on the planet. Mm -hmm. So she didn't believe me, but as soon as she asked him, she believed him. <laughs> so everybody well, was like, put Scott on the phone. I don't believe you. Oh, that's too funny. I'm glad she had that reference of at least somebody could convince her on April Fool's Day. Because on April Fool's Day, <laughs> I would be a little bit skeptical, too. That's a tough one. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, my wife and I have already pulled that joke on our parents. So they're expecting a joke. <laughs> we could never pull it off at this point. That is too funny. Man, okay. So, yeah, with LADA, um, mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about the difference between that and type 1 and your experience with it? So the difference between type 1, LADA, and type 2 is that for me, when I was diagnosed, I had a working pancreas. So my C-peptide uh, was showed that I still was making insulin, mm -hmm. but I had antibodies like a type 1. Interesting. So which means, yeah, so which means that I was kind of operating as both, waiting for that uh, my antibodies to attack my pancreas. 
So instead of going on insulin when I was diagnosed, my endocrinologist, which was a blessing in disguise, he was the a first uh, endocrinologist that was doing pancreas transplants. So when I walked in the room, he automatically had an assumption. He was like, oh, I bet you you have type one and a half is what they, what they called it then. Huh. And I was like, what in the heck is that? <laughs> so then he explained it to me. He took like 15 vials of blood, came back. He was like, my suspicions are right. You have this. Did you say 15 vials of blood? Yes. That's a lot of blood. Yes, it was a lot. And it's funny because I still have the medical records. So when I go back and look at them from time to time, I'm like, holy crap. It was a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, like for someone who, who was never, except when I was um, getting in process into the military and then going to go like have like anthrax shots, I've never been, um, I was not accustomed to having that much blood drawn. Right. So when I had it done, that's when he said, hey, this is what this is. You can start on insulin now if you would like. He said, but if I were you, because you're so young, I would just go on oral medication. Mm. And I was like, that's not a bad idea. (laughs) But the only caveat to that was he said, your pancreas could stop working tomorrow Mm. it can stop working four months from now it can start working stop working six years from now from now so the cool thing is is i was actually see my daughter i had my daughter i was on insulin of course when i was pregnant with her and then i went back to oral medication after i had her i did not go on insulin until she was two i'm so sorry can you hear my dog yeah, that's all right. I love dogs. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Two. Wow. So was that three years without insulin? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and the funny thing about it is, is I was actually surviving off of a half of a five milligrams of glipizide until we moved to California. And like I said, my daughter was two and I noticed something was wrong. Um, so I had to tell my endocrine, not my endocrinologist, but my nurse practitioner, because back then I was just being treated as a type two. Right. And then I told her, I said, Hey, eventually I may need to see an endocrinologist. And I explained it to her. She was like, okay. So when that time came, she was like, well, let's try this and let's try it. I was like, okay. So I was the max dose that she can possibly be on with metformin, metformin along with glipizide. And I was like, you know what? I appreciate this, but it's time for me to go see a specialist. But the funny thing is, is the endocrinologist that I saw, and he was actually a nurse practitioner. Shout out to those nurse practitioners because they're pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. He didn't believe that I had ladder. He was like, no way. He said, because typically, this is what he told me, is that usually it's older women, older white women that that gets ladder. So once again, I went through the whole blood draw process, except he didn't take that many. He just took three vials. And when he came back, he said, yep, this is what's wrong. He said, your pancreas is slowly declining. He said, we can put you on insulin to reserve your beta cells. And I was like, okay, you know what? Let's do this. Hmm. If I'm going to have to give myself a shot for the rest of my life, four to six times a day, I'm going to do some research. 
Yeah. And I will come back to you. The amazing thing about this office that I was going to, they laid out every single insulin pump that was on the market. They told me which one one did what, even the ones that was not are going off the market. Because at the time, the Cosmo was going um, off the market. I saw that Mm. and everything else. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is really cool. So this is before I even knew that doctors didn't really give a lot of people choices or options. So shout out to Dr. Timothy Timothy Bailey's office in um, the Escondido, California area. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, so pretty awesome. I was actually very blessed um, throughout my journey. I wasn't misdiagnosed. Um, And when it was time to cross over, I crossed over. But I will tell you this, as someone living with both types, to a certain extent, type two was more difficult. And the reason why is, is I didn't have insulin to fix it. So when I had to, when I was 250, for instance, I would have to go outside. And sometimes my husband would have to go outside with me while I walked around the neighborhood at nine or 10 o'clock at night to bring my blood sugar down. Wow. That's a very interesting perspective that I hadn't thought of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to exercise before I treat with insulin, if that's an option for me. Mm -hmm. So I also have gone on walks at 10 o'clock at night with my wife. Uh, But for that to be your only option, that's a very interesting perspective. Yeah. And like, I used to count every single potato chip. Like if I was to eat potato chips, I wouldn't say nope, I couldn't eat them. Mm -hmm. But 15, 15 uh, Doritos. I knew that 15 Doritos would give me uh, be about 15 to 16 grams of carbs. I would stop at that. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have my protein. I had a very balanced meal. Um, I honestly don't laugh at me. I was scared of cupcakes until I found the diabetes online community, which is crazy. Right. Because mm-hmm. at that time, like I said, living like a type two for a very long period of time, there were things that I just couldn't touch and I not couldn't, but didn't want to touch. Yeah. Because I didn't have insulin to help bring my blood sugar down. Absolutely. And obviously the uh, stereotypes in our society didn't help as well, where, you know, cupcakes give you diabetes and we're like, no, it doesn't. But, you know, when you're first starting out, that's uh, some misinformation that might have influenced our thoughts. Yeah. So it's weird because back then it was 2004 and I wasn't really on the Internet. Okay. So the Internet makes the world so much smaller. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really see what that division was until after I got on insulin, um, when I found the diabetes online community and not even when I first found it, it was probably three, maybe two to three years afterwards. So it's not something that, you know, that I had, I, I didn't know it existed until then. Wow. And that's a, a great transition into the online diabetic community and uh, what a massive role you played in that. So um, how did you first get into the diabetic community online? Was it like you Google searched uh, people like me or did you know there must be somebody out there? So you decided to start something. How did that start for you? No. Mm-mm. So after I decided on to do my research for insulin pumps, I typed in the type of insulin pump I was looking for. And two diabetes popped up. So two diabetes is one of the 
uh, actually was just uh, absorbed by Beyond Type 1 a few years ago. Yeah. But that's how I found the Diabetes Online community was because I was searching for an insulin pump to see what the reviews were back in 2004. And I stumbled across two diabetes. There was an option for, for type one and a half slash ladder. And once I found that, I knew that I was at home because they recognized the type of diabetes that I had at the, at that time, doctors would tell me I was crazy that I really didn't have it. I'm like, dude, I really do have it. And there wasn't a lot of information about it from the JDRF or the ADA. Mm-hmm. So for me, that that was my homecoming. That's how I found the online community. And then I became an admin of Two Diabetes. And I stayed on that website every day for hours upon hours upon hours, uh, learning as much as I possibly learn as much as I possibly can. And then um, after I found Two Diabetes, shortly after, um, I had the opportunity to participate in Hallmark Heroes. And Manny Hernandez, which started to diabetes, was being honored by Hallmark um, as a hero for uh, creating two diabetes. And I was actually flown out from um, Southern California to Northern California. He and my family, we were the only that was the first person that I've met in person from the diabetes online community. And he, we were on TV. Wow. What a big step. Uh Something that you mentioned actually sparked a thought in my mind. You mentioned, you know, type one and a half, Lada, is when you saw that on two diabetes, you felt at home. There's obviously a, a big uh, portion of the diabetic community that everyone's like, oh, diabetes, and we're like, it's type two. But um, people less know about type one. That's not great English, but <laughs> uh, type no, you're type one is not as well known as type two. And Lada is even less known than type one. And so that must have been, or maybe you can tell me about this. Was it lonely thinking that you have a different kind that not many people know about? Or was it easy to deal with? So it was, it's weird, right? So I was raised a single, single mother, raising five kids. Um, I was the only girl. So I had, I have brothers and I was never, um, I never was raised with that mentality. So it's like you, you get what you get. You don't throw a fit and you drive on. So with that being said, I didn't know what I needed until I found it. That makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I was more disappointed that there was not any information on the internet about Lada than I was about being alone. I didn't realize that I needed community until I found the diabetes online community. So what was that moment like for you? Was it just a, a week of obsession searching through every bit of information that two diabetes offered or did you space it out or uh, I know that you eventually joined their team. What was that process like for you? So, um, like I said, I literally stayed on it all the time. Um, luckily my husband was supportive and understanding and my daughter was so young, she didn't realize it, but which is kind of cute in a way is I was so involved that my daughter at the time, she was two, three years old. She wanted diabetes so she can have friends like the friends that I've that I've developed that have become my extended family. So that's how ingrained and involved I was in the community. Um, I went on and I started my own blog. 
And then after that, I uh, was asked to join Diabetes Daily. So I used to write for Diabetes Daily as well. And then in 2010, I had a friend, her name is Jamie, uh, in California as well. She talked me into joining Twitter. I was against it. <laughs> I was like, dude, this this is, conversation is going too fast. It's overwhelming. But then once I did it, it was amazing because I actually got to see because I want to make this sound, make it sound a little better. So blogs kind of just tell a story as it, you know, while the person's sitting down right. writing it. Whereas Twitter, it allowed you to get to know that person. Hmm. So I would follow like Carrie and Scott Johnson and our relationships ve- developed in that real time um, platform because it was on the go. And then um, I started participating in a Twitter chat called Healthcare Communication and Social Media, which was uh, ran by Dana Lewis. You know, Dana Lewis, uh, We Are Not Waiting, mm-hmm. DY, Pancreas System. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. And I was like, I should do this for the diabetes community. Hmm. So then I talked to my husband and he was like, that's a good idea. And I talked to Scott Johnson. I was like, dude, I want to do this. He was like, you want to start next month? I was like, no, let's start it next week. (laughs) (laughs) So we started it. I started it. And then I'm like, nobody's going to show up because I put the information on Twitter and I, um, and on diabetes daily. I was like, nobody's going to show up. 10 minutes after the chat started, the tweets started rolling in. I mean, I never seen anything like that. And not just from the United States. It was people from Australia. Really? It was people. Oh, it was amazing. So a lot of the Twitter chats is actually actually happening for people with diabetes started after I started DSMA. So DSMA was the first uh, Twitter chat for people with diabetes. And at the time, it was actually the largest and it was the largest for quite some time. But I'm kind of uh, focused on finishing my bachelor's degree. Okay. So the last year and a half, I've been really like hyper focused on school. But as soon as I finish school, which a man's May 6th, I graduate. All right. um, Then I'll be able to go back and and revitalize and and make it excited again. But I I'm happy to say that there's a lot of great people that volunteer to help make it happen. So I started DSMA in July of 2010. Hmm. Then after that. I um, started DSMA Live, which was a blog talk radio show. Um, Like I said, we had live conversation. People would call in. We had a chat room. We had the conversation on Twitter. And then after that, in November, I started the Blue Fridays initiative, Um, which was actually kind of crazy how that happened, because the only organization that represents all type of diabetes, not type one or not more type two focused, is the International uh, Federation, Diabetes Federation. And they worked with um, who, who to create the symbol for diabetes. And I was really impressed by it. And I was like, nobody really knows that this exists. So what can what can we do to make it happen? And that's how Blue Fridays was born. Wow. And I know that probably most people listening know what Blue Fridays is. It's become very popular. And uh, even people who don't know what it is year-round, in November, they definitely know what it is. So that's a really big thing that you've started. That's incredible. Thank you. <laughs> it's weird because, like, sometimes I go back and I look and I'm like, wow. Like, this is, you know, everything that I do, 
I I do it because I feel like there's a need. Mm -hmm. And my goal is always just to help one person. I don't care about how many followers I have. I don't care about my reach. I don't care about any of that. I don't even consider myself an influencer. My goal in life and in this community is just to help one person. And if I can help one person feel like they're less alone or connect them to someone who can help them, then my job is done. So it's it's about giving back truly to to people with diabetes. Um, and I enjoy it. Now, I know my opinion on how many people you've obviously helped with just with that one movement. But in your mind, do you think that you've helped that one person? Do you feel satisfied with what you've contributed? Yes. Awesome. Yes. But you know what, though, which is crazy I have so many ideas floating around in my head and you would have to know me to understand how that works. So typically it's like I said, I'll call somebody and say, Hey, I want to do this. So for instance, I also started the women of color diabetes page. Are you familiar with that? I mean, uh, Instagram account. I started that as well. Look at you go. (laughs) So it's a lot of things that I do. People don't know that I do because it's not about me. It's about the community. So it doesn't matter who knows what what exists, Mm -hmm. but for this purpose is why I'm telling you, I can come up with an idea and make it happen. And it just, like I said, with school happening right now, my focus was on school. And then once I'm finished with that, then I'll be able to do more things with women of color or diabetes. And I'll be able to do more things with DSMA. So I'm, I'm really excited. I think that, you know, the young people out there listening, there is a lot of opportunity for the the old school, the older diabetes community and that new school to together to amplify all voices um, of those that are affected with diabetes. And if not, try to find ways to collectively reach those that need to be reached, not just with them coming online we got to do things inside of our, you know, in our local communities as well. Yeah. So what do you think would be the best way for those older generation and the newer generation of diabetics to unite? What's the best way that we can bring them together? So this is my idea. I just thought about it like two seconds Ooh, ago. French. I think, <laughs> I think that what we should do is identify, right? What are your goals? Because I think that somebody sitting from the other side of the fence. I'm not sure what the what the goals are of the of that new school diabetes group. So for me, I would love to have a roundtable discussion to identify what their purpose is and what their mission is and figure out how we can find one common thing to bring to the table and amplify the voices that way. And not just type one voices, because that's one thing about me. I am not type specific. My husband has type two. Funny story. He was diagnosed 10 years after I was diagnosed. Hmm. And my bonus daughter was just diagnosed with LADA last year. So I have no type specific. If you have diabetes, I am here for you and I want to help. So I think we just have to figure out what those are. And I mean, when I say like a real nice roundtable discussion, to figure out what's next uh, for the community. Absolutely. And it is, it's very interesting, isn't it? How the different types of diabetes mm-hmm. have kind of broken up into subcultures and it feels almost as if there is a resistance between joining forces and communities. But 
it's something that I've always thought should be possible because we all do have that big overarching label as diabetics, you know, even though we do have different types, Mm -hmm. but it, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it doesn't flow as easy across different types. And it's unfortunate because we all struggle. We all have this disease and, uh, you know, it's affecting all of our lives in different manners. But I, I do hope that we can find a way to connect across those borders and, you know, connect a lot of type one, type two, gestational, all the different types of diabetes and uh, use our strengths together to better the world, better our communities. I think that's definitely a possibility. I definitely, you know me, I'm, I'm an optimist. I believe that anything is possible. You just have to have the right people at the table to make it happen. Yeah. Now, are you so, still involved with two diabetes? No, I am not. I So once I started DSMA, that became a four-time job. So it was actually at one point, probably for about two years, I was traveling somewhere every other month. Like I was not home. Wow. Um, so serving on uh, patient advisory boards, uh, speaking about social media and diabetes. I mean, and even this, I didn't even mention this. So on uh, November the 14th, World Diabetes Day, typically we have a 24-hour Twitter chat. So that's me reaching out to people from different countries saying, hey, would you like to contribute to this conversation? So it was, I had a job full-time and my advocacy became a full-time job. It got so bad where I was using my vacation time at work to go advocate or to go speak or to go do a lot of things. Um, So it's crazy. It it takes a lot of time. Um, and I think a lot of people don't understand. I think they see, they see people traveling and they don't understand how much time and effort goes into it. Oh yeah. Um, just even getting there and the things that we, uh, give up in order to speak up for those who, who may not have a seat at the table. Yeah. And you're not joking about traveling, taking a lot out of it. <laughs> you know, usually those are red eye flights and running between stations, skipping meals and having a hard time connecting with family. And yeah, that's a rough schedule. And to do it yeah. for the, the greater good, it's an amazing thing that you're doing, amazing service, but it does take a lot out of you. And uh, that would be tough to do long term. You know what? I agree. And that's one of the reasons why um, I started Women of Color with Diabetes is to help elevate those voices. And what I'm what I'm going to do eventually is try to have some type of training program to help get those voices out there so I can sit back and not be the only black person at the table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's incredible. Or the only person of color at the table. So like I said, there's there's some method to my madness and you know, it's going to happen. It's going to come full circle. But like I said, we are better together. And once we help elevate those people and bring our voices together collectively, we can do more. Absolutely. I know we talked about that before we hopped on the podcast where, you know, we all across all ethnicities, all backgrounds, we all have the same disease. You know, it may affect Mm -hmm. us slightly differently, but we all deserve equal uh, respect for the battle that we're fighting. We all deserve equal representation. Mm -hmm. And I think it's wonderful that you started that initiative and you have a great platform to launch off of and connect people over the internet. The internet's amazing for that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you're talking about coaching people over the internet. That's something anyone can do. And, you know, hop on after work, get a little training from Sharice and, 
And then there you go. You've started a whole new movement. So <laughs> you are just moving and shaking in the diabetes community. This is awesome. And you thank you. And you know what? I always tell people, if you have an idea and you want to bounce it, to, bounce it off of me, whatever you say to me stays with me. And I'll help you and tell you how to make it happen if that's what you truly want to do. So even if it's if it's not my idea and even if it's something that I come up with that I can't do and I know somebody that can make it happen, I'll go ahead and say, hey, this will be a good idea for you because I don't want to do it all at all, all the time. I want other people to be empowered to advocate on behalf of themselves and on on behalf of uh, others. Yeah, delegation. That's important. <laughs> You're gonna get yes, burnt out I if it's all on you. <laughs> oh my gosh. If you we should have had this podcast back in two thousand ten. Oh no. Seriously. What happened? I just started probably maybe actually when I just started uh when I switched over to Arizona State University is when I started delegating. I'm like, look, hmm. I need help. I would put out call to help want it, help want it. And shout out to like Stephen Shaw, uh, Diabetes Deliciousness, Kelly Rawlings, um, Chelsea. I mean, I have a whole team of people that at any time I can just go on and say, I need y'all. I'm finishing up and I want to finish strong. And they come in and they make it happen. So um, and if I forgot anybody, please forgive me. It's not on purpose. But (laughs) I just started truly, really delegating. And like I said, once I finish school, I'm really going to be delegating because Dude, we like I always say, it takes a village. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you're still doing DSMA, sort of. You know, school is your focus right now, obviously. But with DSMA, what is the next step for that? So DSMA is still going on. It happens every. Just in case you're listening and you're curious, <laughs> um, DSMA happens every Wednesday at nine o'clock Eastern Standard Time. If you are affected by diabetes, whether you're a doctor, a nurse, somebody living with it, a caretaker, a spouse or whatever, Hmm. you are welcome uh, to join the conversation. Um, I will advise you uh, up front. It's a not it's not a judgment zone. Uh, People treat their diabetes different. So respect the space. Um, We haven't had too many issues in the last 10 years, nine years, and we don't want to have any uh, any new ones pop up. So with DSMA, there's a lot of different things that we could do with it. Uh, One of the things that I actually just started incorporating last week was a call to action. We typically just have conversations. And since DSMA Live isn't around anymore, we just kind of go about our separate ways. Um, Last week, we had a conversation about self-care. So I was like, you know what? We're going to start having call to actions. Like I said, that's just the way I think. We tweeted out the, like I said, the topic was on self-care and the ask was this week, make sure you do something for yourself, whether it's just sit down, being still, going for a walk, whatever, do something for yourself. Because oftentimes people with diabetes, you know, as well as I know, we manage our diabetes and everything else just kind of, we forget about our overall health. Hmm. And um, my ask was to do something for yourself. So every week now we're going to incorporate a call to action, uh, whether it's big, small, whatever, read a book, da, da, da. We're going to make that happen. Um, what I would like to do is um, every three months. So every quarter, I would like to have a global chat 
and that's having everyone from all around the world. So not like the 24 hour chat, but something smaller to discuss issues collectively as a global community is something that I would like to do. Um, And there's some more stuff. There's some more stuff. That's amazing. Well, it sounds like you've already got quite the the plan for it coming up in the next couple of months and years. Uh, For anybody who doesn't exactly know what that is, can you tell us what DSMA stands for and where they can find it? Yes. So DSMA stands for Diabetes Social Media Advocacy. Um, Our Twitter chat is um, if you go on Twitter and you want to find the community, just hashtag DSMA. Also, if you follow me, it'd be easier. Just follow Sweeter Sharice, and then you'll see that conversation go between myself and the uh, diabetes social media conversation. And pretty much what happens every Wednesday we get together, we start off with an introduction. And throughout the hour, we have a conversation based off of the questions that I share or that the moderator or the host at that time is sharing. All the moderation happens on DSMA. Sometimes it's not me. Sometimes there's other people in the community that's actually moderating the conversation. So, and that's what happens. And to me, I think one of my friends from many years ago said it best, right? Facebook, you already know everybody, but Twitter is a place where strangers become friends. It's a very good point. Yeah, I don't know very many faces on Twitter, but I know their usernames. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the internet is a wild place, isn't it? I've had... I've come across many incredible people that I would have never even heard of before. And uh, especially in the mm-hmm. diabetic community, once I found the online diabetic space, it changed my life and it, it continues mm-hmm. to get better. It makes it uh, the tight community. makes you feel like you're not alone and it gives you a place to share your yeah. struggles and your victories and just, you know, joke around about it, make friends. It's a great space. And I love what you're doing on Twitter with DSMA. And uh, I think I'm going to have to, check it out next week so when does it air i think so it happens every wednesday night at 9 p.m eastern standard time perfect it's it's happened consistently pretty much there's some weeks that you know like i said the times that i moderate i'm like you know what we're just going to have an open chat because i just haven't had time to really think of questions but it's happened consistently every um every week since 2010 except for holidays wow what consistency. That's amazing. I love that you've stuck I know, with it. It's crazy. That's, that's a hard thing to do. Weekly, consistently. That's a lot. So well done. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I couldn't, I, like I said, this last couple of years, shout out to the team because I couldn't, it wouldn't still be going on probably uh, without them. So I greatly appreciate it. Yeah. So if anyone is, is interested, we have DSMA. Definitely check that out on Twitter. Sharice started that. She started a whole bunch of things. Blue shirt, Fridays, wear blue. And um, she's doing big things in the social media space. You can also check her out at Sweeter Sharice. Sharice, I know I told you we were going to stick to around a half an hour. and We've already gone over that. <laughs> so my apologies. But I want to ask you oh, no, okay. one final question, if that's all right with you. I would like to know oh, yes. if you can think about what is one piece of advice that you would like to give to our listeners in the diabetic community. What would you like to tell them? Um, so... One piece of advice that I would give someone in the diabetes online community, it would be to speak up, share your story. It is okay if your story is different. It is okay if your A1C is not 5.5, 6.1, 6.2. 
It's okay if it's 8.0. It's okay if it's 13. Because you know what? You're more than just a number. And do not compare yourself because you are awesome. Do not let diabetes steal your joy and your worth it. <laughs> Ooh, man, ending on a high note. That is some incredible advice. Uh, I, I can't follow that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, that's incredible. Um, I know a lot of us judge ourselves by our numbers, especially, you know, we, we see it as a direct reflection of our efforts. And sometimes numbers aren't our fault. You know, there's other factors that affect our blood sugar numbers. Sometimes the guy at the restaurant gave you too much food and didn't tell you what was in it. So, yeah, the numbers and not blaming yourself for it, that's huge. So thank you for giving us that amazing piece of advice. You're very welcome. And thank you so much for having me on the show. I really enjoyed it. Like I said, you really should be on radio because your voice is really good. (laughs) I may have to have a look into that. Well, thank you so much, Cherise, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you about the diabetic community, learning about LADA, and hearing your story. Uh, again, if anybody wants to check out Cherise, she's on Instagram at Swedish Cherise. You can find her uh, her account DSMA on Twitter and join her live conversations. She's got some incredible stuff. I was just having a peek at that earlier before we hopped on our call, and it looks like a lot of people are taking a lot of value from that. So she's doing great things. Thank you so much for coming on today. And that is it for our podcast today. Thank you.